Hey, Sean Atwood here with Dr. Michael. We're going to be talking about the pandemic, Fauci, coronavirus. Michael has been censored across the platforms, including Amazon. I wonder why. I wonder what they don't want us to learn what's in this book. Can we? Can you hold the book up so the viewers can see it, please? There you go. Fauci's Fiction. Right, so I, I, you know, I don't know where to start with this. I've got so many questions. I mean, what happened? What was coronavirus? How did it originate? We started reporting on it, and we got shut down on YouTube because we had people coming on saying it was coming out of a bio lab. This was years ago, and um, it went against the WHO version of events, so they shut us down. We had to delete all of our stuff. But what, what, what's your perception of, where it, of, of how it originated first? Well, it's, I don't get into it in the book. You know, we, we kind of lead people down a road and you can make your own decision. But if you look at the data, it really tells you that it came out of one specific spot. This is this zoonotic thing that they were pushing just really didn't make sense from the start. And there's evidence to back that up. You can look at, you know, even the video of the Wuhan lab. There was just there was traffic one day and then there was no cars in the parking lot the next day. It was in, I think it was in October of uh, 2020 of 2019. And that's when it started to spread. So you can kind of see that it came from one point. Even when you look at the variations, it, it, it kind of makes sense. So this was a bioengineered virus. Well, you know, I don't like I said, I don't go down that road. It could have been. Um, I, I think personally that it was obviously released from one spot in the lab uh, that it got out. And I think obviously I mean, if you look at what happened and what transpired, it looks like the government's exploited that situation. I mean, that's obvious whether it was engineered or not. You can make up your own mind, um, but it's very possible. Okay, and then what happened next? I mean, we were told this thing was kicking off in China and it was spreading to Europe. Could you just take us through the timeline before we get to, you know, deconstructing what, what Fauci, how Fauci reacted? Well, I can give you our perspective. I mean, we started seeing it coming out of, you know, we're, we're in America looking at China and then all of a sudden it started going down the European countries and you see people getting sick. So nobody was really paying attention to this thing in January of 2020. It was kind of an anomaly. People were like, yeah, this is going to be another one of those things that just burns itself out and it'll never come here, blah, blah, blah. I'm looking at the data uh, on Worldometer and I, at that time we didn't have any we didn't have a lot of countries that had over a thousand cases. There were maybe like 10 of them. So we were looking at, you know, at those 10 countries and looking at the exponential growth, we did a re regression analysis chart and found out that as we, as we looked at it, we're, we're looking at the numbers going out a couple months saying, wow, this thing's going to explode. So I was working on a couple political campaigns here and I said, man, I think this thing's going to blow up. And of course, everybody in America was, was, you know, their, their naysayers, ah, nah, it'll be like another thing that, you know, we've never heard of again and it will get through it. But it, it started, it, it hit here, I think in Washington state was the first case that we heard of. And then all of a sudden it just blew up. It was on wildfire. But, you know, looking at the data now, when you, when you kind of see what we saw when we started to test, everybody had it. Uh, just nobody knew about it because nobody was testing for it at the time. So do you think then that, it should not have been reclassified as this extraordinary thing. It should have just been maintained as a as a flu. No, it's it's definitely got a different signal than flu A. 
uh, it is a, it, you know, you, you just mentioned that was it an engineered thing? You know, you kind of get into that whole thing. It is, it definitely has a different signal. It is not flu A, it is not flu B, it is not flu C. Those things aren't also, they're not coronaviruses. There's seven different coronaviruses we test for. Coronavirus is very, very different, but the molecule size, the, the size of the, the particle is very similar to the size of flu A, but they're very different. So you're saying then it was a legitimate pandemic. It wasn't just a variation of some flu type illness. Uh, when you use the word pandemic, right? You know, we we create pandemics based on the the media frenzy that we get into. Uh, did we need the media frenzy for what COVID is and, and was at the time? The answer is no. Uh, it, the, the death rate is is the same as the flu. It's about ninety nine point. I think it's a 99.98% survival rate without treatment. So they're very, it's very similar to, to flu A and how it, how it, you know, the mortality rates. Uh, but also at the time it was novel. So it was bringing people down. There was, there was good, there was good reason for a little bit of alarm at the time. Um, but it, once we figured out that this thing wasn't as deadly as, as, as everybody thought it was going to be, uh, it turned it into a pandemic the way we did and the way we shut down the world. I don't think that was, needed necessarily do you think it was best to err on the side of caution because they didn't know it was going to be less deadly yeah but we found out pretty quick we we didn't need i guess that's the point of fauci's fiction we we were the first company to do testing for COVID in new jersey so i was the first guy out the gate and you got to understand perspective right we didn't know so we're at people's homes i'm, I'm wearing ppe i'm testing people outside on their porches we were taking precautions but once we got a couple hundred patients under our belt and realized that everyone had this, most people were getting over it very quickly. And the majority of my positives were asymptomatic. In fact, 85 to 90 percent of my positives were asymptomatic. Once you started to see that in practice, you could kind of put the brakes on and say, all right, guys, we don't need to shut the world down. There's no need for lockdowns and all this stuff. People are getting over this relatively quickly. Plus, we figured out the treatment regimens very early on. But for some reason, and, and you, your audience can, you know, make up their own mind as to where, why, uh, we continue to exacerbate the narrative and kind of explode uh, the, the way we handled this thing. It was, it was very unnecessary. So do you think that the crisis was co-opted for vested interests? That's my opinion. Yeah. I mean, I mean, what's that book, Saul Alinsky, Rules for Radicals, Never Let a Crisis Go to Waste? I mean, that, you know, that makes the most sense here. So what came into play then? What vested interests were active and how did they take control of the situation to profit from it? Uh, well, right. Follow the money. I guess that's the best way to, to look at it. I don't, I don't know. And, and, and Sean, I don't, again, you know, Fauci's fiction, I don't get into the conspiracy theory part of it. What I do is I present the facts. Here's what we saw. Here's how viruses work. Here's how testing works because people still don't understand this three plus years into this thing. People don't understand the same language when it comes to viruses. What, you know, the difference between quarantine and isolation. I mean, it sounds semantics, but it's very important that if we're in the most deadly virus known to man, we should probably get all on the same page. If we're, in other words, if we're going to lock down the world and suicide rates going up, mask everybody, maybe we should all get on the same page. That's kind of the point of the book that we knew a lot of these facts very early on and nobody wanted to pay attention to it. So if you have a theory as to why and the who and the money, you can kind of look back at the data and say, well, wait a minute, if we knew this two, three months into the pandemic, then maybe 
there's something nefarious going on. Again, I don't point to that in the book. I don't I don't talk about that in the book because that that leads people down rabbit holes and it makes the book uncredible at some point. I just want to give them the facts from our from our, what we did on the ground as practitioners, the data we saw so that those folks can then make up their minds. When you look at, you know, people like Fauci who have, I think he's got an $11 million net worth now and you wonder how, I mean, he worked for the government. It, there's a lot of politicians in our country we talk about all the time and Nancy Pelosi's got, you know, what, $150 million? How? You know, she worked in Congress on $175,000 a year salary. So you can, you can kind of, you know, make up your mind. You could look at Moderna stock, which was at, I think, $35 at one point, And then during the pandemic, it was at 400. So, I mean, you can figure all that out on your own, but the data in the, in the, during the pandemic doesn't make Fauci and Burks and the people that were handling this look very good. And it will, it will probably lead you down a road. Yeah. Someone contacted me a couple of years ago and said, you need to short Moderna stock and Pfizer stock. And I wish I'd have done it because I see the coming back down to earth now do you think that they're you know they've capitalized on the situation obviously but that's run out of steam now for them and the stock will continue to go down uh, most likely yeah i mean nobody's getting shots anymore at least i mean we've told everybody in the beginning these things aren't going to work you're going to need multiple shots you're going to need at least once a year uh once we saw the data in practice you only need it only gives you the effect of a flu shot 120 day antibody response. And I think now peop, the, the majority of people have caught up. There are still morons out there. I hate to say, it, but that are wearing masks in airports that are running around, you know, getting a shot as soon as it comes out. Why? You know, I, I don't understand people's logic here. You know, you get a vaccine so that you don't get something. We told everybody before the vaccines came out that they're not going to work like a vaccine traditional. And that's another misconception. If you use that word to someone who's 80, 90 years old, it's kind of blatant malpractice because those folks are thinking like polio, you know, immunity for life. So to use the word vaccine to fool everybody in the world into getting this thing is 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 pretty nefarious uh, <laughs> alone. Um, yeah, the stocks are starting to come down to earth. And the, the fact that only a very small percentage of the population is rushing out to get these things, they'll still make a little bit of money. The government's paying for it. Uh, but it's it's not going to be the the windfall profit that they saw in the first round of this thing when they scared everybody in the world into getting it. So I was watching a doctor on YouTube the other day, and he was talking about the excess deaths. What do you make of that? Well, uh, I can tell you this: I don't. From what we saw in the beginning, there's a reason why people were dying very early on. There's two reasons. One is novelty. If you and I were to go to an indigenous island in the South Pacific and hug all the indigenous people, they would eventually get sick from the stuff we're immune to. So novelty is a big deal. That's why, you know, we talk about this thing. Was it engineered? Was it just a version? No, it was definitely something very different. And yes, there was cause for alarm. And that's another story about was it released nefariously? Did it come out of a lab? Was it bioengineered? That's a whole nother story. Um, but when you look at the deaths now and you, and you start to see it, now that we understand treatment, uh, and by the way, flu protocols were flaring this up in the beginning, which is another reason people were dying. We were using things like Tamiflu. We were, we were, we were, we were elderberry flares this thing up. I mean, this, the dumbest little things that you would never think of that we normally do for sickness flare up COVID. So we didn't know that. And uh, we we're putting people on vents way too early. So people were dying a lot of times at the hands of the medical community. And I hate to say that because they were doing what they thought 
was appropriate. But when we look back now, the cytokine storm from putting them on vents was was shutting down their system. They were bucking the vent and, and they were consequently dying. Uh, when you understand it in totality, we figured that out pretty quick. So, the, again, the fact that we that we kept this narrative going for so long is is just is just stupidity. Um, but a lot of people died of COVID. Uh, I'm sorry, with COVID, not from COVID. It was just everybody had it, and that's something we saw very early on, Sean. It, we started testing on March 16th of of 2020. And we did not have enough testing supplies. I was getting hundreds of calls a day and I might have had 10 swabs. I was the only guy doing this. And every time you would go through those 10 swabs or 20 swabs, you would realize that almost everybody had this thing. Um, so it, my point was, if you had tested everybody in March of 2020 at the exact same time, you would have realized that this thing had circled the world. Everybody had it. Most people had gotten over it. The ones who were susceptible, like the elderly, uh, and I, I say it like this, if you're in the pool of population that can die in the next five years, a cold can bring you down, a flu can bring you down, COVID can bring you down. But if you're going in the hospital and you, and you had a motorcycle accident, but you also test positive for COVID, to count that as a death is just, you know, I mean, come on, we're, we're suspending reality. So what do you make of Joe Rogan's formula of the ivermectin? I can tell you from our perspective, what we saw, I did not use it in my office. I did take it personally the second time I had COVID. Um, and I did have a doctor that I worked with down in Key West who did it religiously. And we would talk to him and his staff all the time. Um, it, it, number one, it, it is not a veterinary drug. Yes, it is also used in veterinary, but it was approved for human use in 1987. So the people that call this a, a, a horse you know, drug, it's just stop, all right? You have to understand what it's used for. It's an antiviral. Should doctors have the right to try it? 100%. Doctors should have the right to try anything that they think is going to help their patients survive, period. All right? So that the naysayers that talk about this thing, grow up, get a life, get over it, okay? It, it, it's become a virtue signaling, you know, thing when you mention ivermectin. Does it work? I will tell you this. Um, the, the, the folks that I talked to at the clinic that was using this thing, had a, they would take it when they were sick and they would probably get over it in two or three days. The folks that we had that were sick that didn't get ivermectin, they got a, a dosage of, of C, D, zinc, and electrolytes, okay? They usually would get over it in two or three days. So I think there might be some placebo effect when you talk about ivermectin because most people recover from COVID quite nicely. Um, can I ask you, Sean, have you had COVID? Yeah, I had it. Uh, I dodged it earlier on, and I got it later on. And I was never vaccinated. I've written books deconstructing Big Pharma um, and the war on drugs and that kind of thing. So I never, I don't trust Big Pharma, and I never got vaccinated. And I didn't eat for two weeks. I was living off electrolytes, and I, I started to think I was going crazy after not eating for two weeks. Well, I, I didn't get it either, and a lot of people ask me why, and I just tell them I'm not I'm not an idiot. So welcome to my world, and I appreciate the fact <laughs> that you're a smart man. Uh, it look, it doesn't. It gives you 120 day antibody response. It is a blatant fallacy to tell the public that you can get less sick if you've been vaccinated, because what it actually it does the reverse if you think about it. You get a small inflammatory reaction every time you get one of these shots. All right, I'm going to stop calling it a vaccine because it's 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 going down the wrong road. But when you get the, one of these shots, it gives you a small inflammatory reaction. What we see is it inflames areas of instability. So the problems that we see from these shots now are people that are having joint issues, heart issues, enlarged hearts, plaque. 
it, it's something that might develop later in life. So the woman that might have had a heart issue at 70 is now exhibiting it at 40. And that's kind of what we're seeing with these things. You're seeing these weird anomalies, right? I was talking to Dr. Jancy Lindsay, and she always reminds me of the chart that has stillborn births, right? 30 years of stillborn births related to vaccines. Every year it's 25 or less, okay? And you can go down this line for 30 years. All of a sudden in 2021, it's 3,600. 2022, 1,600. So you see these anomalies in the hospitals. We see rare cancers. We see cancer in young people. We see people who had cancer that was in remission and all of a sudden it's back with a vengeance. And every time I talk to another practitioner, they always say that word, back with a vengeance. It's amazing to me that we keep seeing the same things and we keep talking about the same things, but yet we're not correlating it. And there's kind of, there's a reason for that. Uh, I'm working on a second book now uh, and I'm talking to a lot of different professionals, one in particular was reporting cases to VAERS. That's the vaccine adverse events uh, system where you can report these cases. To put it in context, when when a COVID, when, a, when my sample goes off to the lab, okay, my lab in San Antonio, they by law have to report the positive to the states. So the numbers that you saw from COVID in the beginning, and we can talk about that later, how they've changed, were pretty accurate. So they, all these crazy numbers, of COVID, everybody's got this. But then they, they, they want to reference something about vaccine adverse events. And people will look at the VAERS numbers and say, well, it's not that high. Let me ex explain something to you. No doctor is trained on how to report to VAERS. We've never reported anything to VAERS. No hospital. The pe the, and the process takes like an hour to do each person. So if, if you're getting an adverse reaction to a vaccine, it's probably not going to be the day of or the day after. You're probably going to find it six months later on what's called an incidental finding. That's where you go to the doctor for something else. They run a test and all of a sudden they notice, hey, you have an enlarged heart. And they might pull a study from, a, you know, a year before the va uh, vaccines and say your EKG was totally fine or you had an echo was totally fine. And now all of a sudden we find this anomaly. Right. So if that doctor finds the anomaly, if they think it's it's related to the vaccine, a lot of times they don't want to think that because these are the same idiots that recommended the shots to you in the first place. So number one, they're not going to report it. But number two, even if they wanted to, it's an hour long process. They got to go back, pull the records. Which shot did you get? Which lot number was it? They have to get all this information. So it never gets in the system in the first place. So what you see in VAERS is, is probably less than 5% of what's out there. So if you got a million deaths in VAERS, multiply that by 20, and that's really what's out there from these shots. Wow, that's flabbergasting. I think it's Dr. Joseph Campbell is the guy I've been watching a lot. Have you heard of him? I haven't. He's a UK doctor. I'm just going to pull him up now. He's a UK doctor and he's he got the vaccine in the beginning and he's recently said, knowing what he knows now, he wishes he hadn't got it. And he's talking about the excess deaths. Yeah, Dr. John Campbell, sorry. He's got 3 million subscribers. That This, this happened over the last three years. He said, knowing what he knows now, he would not have got the vaccine. He's talking about the excess deaths of the vaccinated and he's talking about the pregnant women, how they told him it, it was safe, and uh, the milk, the, the the milk for the babies um, is passing things on, and all this stuff. 
Have you anything to comment on that, on, on pregnant women? Somebody, somebody asked me a question the other day about shedding, and uh, you know, it, it, it's, a lot of people will debate it, but, but it's real from what I understand. I talked to my microbiologist friend the other day, and, and she, said, she said shedding is very real, not even just from, from milk. It could, be, it could shed from one person to another, just kind of living in the same. And it's okay. So you think about these things, but on a microbiology level, you know, we can't see viruses. So a lot of people that still don't understand the whole masking thing, but I, you know, and I don't understand things. I don't always see, but that's why I talk to my professionals like a microbiologist and they can explain it a little bit better. So yeah, apparently uh, th there is a lot of shedding going on and, and, and there's some issues with it. Um, the folks that are, and by the way, that, that doctor, I, I hear these stories all the time. I, I write about one story in the book about a cardiologist who at dinner said to me, I used to recommend, here's what he said, I used to recommend the vaccine all the time until I started seeing issues with it, and now I don't. And I looked at him and I said, are, are you an idiot? <laughs> right at dinner. And he's kind of like, where's this going? I said, dude, you do cardiology. We're primary care. Like we've, we've had 19,000 COVID patients that we've treated. 19,000. I've done 44,000 tests. You've never done one. But yet you are touting a narrative based on what? You don't have any information on it. You don't you've, you've never done a study on it. You're, you're basing this on what? And I, I kind of looked down, you know, the, 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 the hallway here to figure out why it was the CDC recommendations. These people were getting their recommendations from the government. And if the government was saying this was safe and effective and this is what you should recommend or these are who you should recommend it to, they were touting that narrative. Meanwhile, now six months later or a year later, they all start to come around and say, I wish I never had this thing. Maybe they should have all put the brakes on initially and said and just asked that question based on what there were folks out there like us that were doing this that had early data very early on. And we were trying to tell politicians, we were trying to tell the media, but nobody wanted to report it. It's guys like you, Sean, that come out and say, hey, there's another story here and I want to get it out. But most of the mainstreams will never, ever talk about this. You won't hear about the VAERS incidents for five years from now. And by then it's too late. That's disgusting. All right, we've got a few questions coming from viewers. So Lisa wants to know, I'm seeing a trend with young, healthy and vaccinated athletes dropping dead. Do you think there is a link? What about long-term health issues? Uh, I, it, again, you know, as somebody who's a science guy, I don't love to speculate. I can only give you an opinion and I don't have data on it. But when you see it in abundance, you start, you have to ask yourself two questions. One is it, is it because we're in a 24 hour news cycle and we're so hypersensitive to this? And you know, now we're correlating that, that we just never kind of saw it before, or is it really happening? I think it's really happening. I think it's happening because I hear from the practitioners in the hospitals. I hear from the practitioners on the ground who tell me these stories every day. And it's not about the ones you hear on TV, the football player falling over uh, of a heart attack. It's young people in abundance with rare things that they've never seen before. So I think it's out there. I think it's a problem and I think it's going to explode. Um, and if these people keep getting these shots, I think you're going to hear about it more and more. But as they start to the percentage come down, how long does these things last? Does it stay forever? Um, who knows is the question. I, I say in the book that I think that this probably shortened the lifespan of the populace by about three to five years on average. And that's a, a very conservative estimate. Liberal estimate, probably seven and 10 years. Wow. Question from Ray J. Are you aware of the sick athletes during the military Olympics in Wuhan in August, September 2019? I'm not. Okay. So how does the government run the math on this then? Do they just think to themselves, 
all right, we really don't know the dangers, but the excess deaths are going to be less than the deaths if we don't vaccinate them. When we vaccinate a population, there's always going to be some excess deaths, but we believe we're going to save more than we'll die. Is, is, is that the process, the mental process? Right. Does the reward outweigh the risk? And yeah. Uh, uh, but I, I get, I, yeah, that you would think, right? I mean, and that's kind of, if you think about the vaccines, I'll, I'll put it in perspective for you. We did not not recommend a vaccine because we thought there'd be issues from it. We didn't recommend vaccines because they didn't work. Uh, I was, I was, I literally called every single positive patient every night to discuss, you know, you're positive, here's your symptoms. And, and the first, these are all in different waves, right? So that it, it, you have to understand it from perspective because this is a three-year process. In the very beginning, when I would call a patient to tell them they were positive, they would say to me, I don't understand how I'm positive. I was wearing a mask the whole time. And you want to roll your eyes and go, wow, this person's brilliant. And then after the vaccines, you would call that positive patient and they would say, I don't understand how I'm positive. I'm fully vaccinated. Now, we are recording that. So we're recording which vaccine you had, when you had it. And this is every night, every single night. I'm calling, you know, hundreds and thousands of patients. And during that time frame, we're recording this data. So after some point uh, within a couple of weeks, you know, which it was every single vaccine and the trend was about 120 days. It was about four months after getting fully vaccinated. They would catch COVID again. So we saw in our own data that the vaccine didn't work. So we didn't recommend it. Why would I recommend you an experimental mRNA vaccine for something that is 99.98% survivable? Okay. Why would I, why would I push a, a vaccine on or a shot on you that we know is not going to work? So that's why we didn't recommend it. Did we, did we think there could be something with it? Sure. We didn't know because we don't have any long-term data. So now that the data is starting to show itself and these people are coming to the hospital with rare cancers, young people falling over, heart attack, clots, all this stuff. Yeah. Now you start to see the only thing different that we did in those couple of years was the shot. And when I go back to Jancy's chart about the, you know, 25 a year, stillborn, and then all of a sudden you see these things in different aspects and you start to go, come on, if we're not paying attention to this and we're not talking about it, we're just ignoring stuff that's right in front of our face. So once the data started to come in, did the government say, here's the data, we were wrong, or did they double down? Well, in the beginning, they doubled down. I mean, in the beginning, we we knew in the, in the first two months that you, sh- you didn't need a lockdown. You could you could open up everything. You could move forward. We could get over this. I had a guy call me very early on uh, whose business was locked down. He's an entertainment guy. So he does parties, weddings, all that stuff. And he's shut down. And he said, Mike, what what do you think? And I said, I said, Adam, his name's Adam. I said, by September, this was March of 2020. I said, by September, everyone will have figured this out, what we've figured out, and we should be back to normal. Now, that was September of 2020. <laughs> So he didn't get back to work until sometime late in you know 2021. The guy was out of work for a very long time. What we did to the public, to in our country and the rest of the world, was was just I mean it, it was blatant stupidity. It was nefarious. Yes, we knew all this stuff, and if I knew what was in this book three years ago, everybody in the government should have known this as well. That's kind of the point. They had to know the same data, but they weren't letting it out to the public. So to go through this exercise was was incredible so what's the biggest lessons learned then there's a lot to unpack there sean one of the things that we did learn that no one really wants to talk about 
is we by doing so much mass testing, we really put viruses and treatment of viruses, bacteria into perspective. Most doctors do not do what we do. Okay, they don't do something called a respiratory pathogen panel. When you go to the doctor now, if, if, if they suspect you're sick, they can just treat the symptoms. But that goes back to a big problem. 41 million antibiotics are written every year. 23 million are unnecessary. And wh why we do proper testing in the office is because when we run a respiratory pathogen panel, we swab you. My, my patients knew what COVID swabs were long before the rest of the world did. Because if you came to me five years ago, we were going to swab you. We send that off to the lab. There's 31 things on our respiratory pathogen panel. So understanding what you have, uh, di diagnosing it properly and treating it is very important. We, we tested so many people during this period that we uncovered a lot of things. When, when you realize that 90% almost of my positive COVID patients were asymptomatic, there's a reason for that. Sick people go to the doctor or they go to the hospital. We were testing everybody at the exact same time. We were doing school you know, school systems, police departments, where they were manda mandated to test weekly, nursing homes where you still had to test the exact same part. So these people were forced to, being uh, to get tested. When you find out that everybody has something all the time, uh, but most people don't know it, they're asymptomatic, you start to wonder, which, which begged the question of my immunologist, I wonder how many asymptomatic flus are out in the world every year, right? Because if you think about it, you wonder, you know, we've never in, in, our, in the history of our, our world tested everybody in the population to see if they had COVID. And you find out when you do that and you do a lot of long-term testing, you, you learn a lot about, uh, about illness and, and how it transmits. So there's a lot to unpack there, but we're not talking about it. So we're, we're really not prepared for the next time we have a pandemic because we're not analyzing the data that we have already. Got another question from a viewer here. So this is from Ray J. What about the PCR test? Is it a credible test or just a means to make the infected numbers look really bad? All right, so I get this all the time. And, you know, it is very credible, and I'll, under and I'll, I'll explain it this way. If you, if you continue to go up the scale, you got to understand how testing works. The, the sensitivity of PCR testing is logarithmic. It's not linear, so it doesn't go 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. It goes 1, 10, 100, 1,000. The sensitivity gets that big every, every level you go up. So looking for COVID at level one is like looking for COVID on my cell phone. But looking for COVID at level 36, which is where my lab goes to, the lab that we use, that's like looking for COVID in the solar system. At that level, you only need nine copies of the virus to tell me it's in your system, it replicated, and it's bound, okay? You are 100% positive if you come up on a PCR test that is done within a certain limit. If you keep going higher than that, you can you, the data can start to get skewed. So I understand where your question is coming from. But if I had a same, and I've done this before, if I have a population of 100 patients and 99 are negative and one is positive, I can test that exact same sample size the next day with those same exact patients and get the one patient to come up positive again where everybody else would come up negative. I've done that over and over and over to prove the validity of our lab's PCR testing to make sure that we are getting the same result every time and that it is accurate. So it, it does work. You cannot fool it, but you can fool a, uh, a rapid test. And that's something completely different than PCR. How does natural immunity compare to the shot immunity? So there's about 27 proteins inside the capsium of the virus. Viruses aren't living things. This is kind of where I start. Viruses are like amino acids. They're either active or inactive. When they get in your system, they're looking for a host to survive. So they replicate themselves and they mutate the moment that they start 
uh, that they start replicating in your system. So they're looking for the best version of themselves to survive. When you get COVID naturally, you are responding not only to the spike protein, but you're getting you're responding to the entirety of the um, the proteins inside that virus, the 27 of them. You are then building what's called B and T lymphocytes. B cells are your memory cells. Your T cells are your helper cells. Okay, so the next time you get COVID-19, SARS-CoV-2, you are responding to the spike protein that has changed because you have uh, memory to the majority of those proteins that are inside it. So you will get less sick. Uh, the next time you have it theoretically, but those spike proteins can be very different and cause different symptomology, which we've learned a lot by doing again, more mass testing. Um, as far as the shot, you are only getting a memory to the spike protein, which changes all the time anyway. So when you get that, you are not getting the memory to the majority of the virus. So again, if you get multiple shots and I tell people all the time, number one, you wouldn't run out and get four flu shots in one year. Uh, people who are running out to get four COVID shots in one year are getting four inflammatory reactions to those shots. If you catch COVID then after, you could actually theoretically be sicker because you've inflamed areas of your body that are weak. And now when you get sick, it could bring you down because you've already destroyed something, you know, your kidney, your liver. My, my sister's having kidney issues now after two Pfizer's. My dad passed away and I read about him in the book. Oh, after. God after three oh, fives, wow. there's a whole chapter on my dad. Oh, and he dear. died of the same things we see from all these other patients, Sean. That's disgusting. That's terrible. Oh, my goodness. Um, so if I didn't eat for 14 days, was that my body's way <laughs> of counteracting it to starve it? No. I, <laughs> if you're, well, I mean, you can get I had very no hunger. I had no hunger at all for 14 days. I was like, every day I'd wake up and I'd be like, whoa. Sure, and different spike... Pro Look, under the majority of people who were sick with COVID had a co-infection, okay? You weren't my patient. I don't have any data on you. I have, on my on my patients who were positive, I know their, their lab CT value. We just talked about CT value a little bit. I, ha I know if they had a co-infection. I know if they had a comorbidity. I have a lot of data on every single one of my patients. COVID is not just negative or positive. COVID is negative or positive with caveats. The positive with caveats is the important part because you need to know somebody's CT value because if they come in between a level 27 and 36, you're not going to have a symptom. That's because your viral load is so low that it, it got in your system, but your body is fighting it off. You're never going to develop a classical symptom. Once it starts to replicate because you are run down and it destroys the mitochondria of your cells, it can cause a lot of classic symptomology, you know, runny nose, you know, cough, all this other nonsense that you, you get. The, the, these weird things that you get, you know, hunger, I, who knows? I mean, every spike protein is a little bit different, but you have to put COVID into perspective to understand it. So the first caveat, again, CT value. Second caveat is co-infection. I don't know what you had when you were sick. You tell me you had COVID, but you weren't my patient. I don't have any data on you. I can look at my patients and say you had COVID. This guy had COVID and staph. To put it in perspective, I had a guy about two years ago, I read about in the book, he had he came back COVID, staph, H flu, and RSV all at the same time. This is what the guy had. I knew when I called this guy, he was probably gonna be the sickest guy I called. Now, put it in if you if this guy went to a Walgreens or some grocery store to buy a home test, you know, a year later when home tests were available, and he thought that he had COVID, he would have thought COVID was the worst thing in the world. So everything he was experiencing in his symptomology mindset would have been from COVID. He had three other things, so we needed to treat that. I don't know what you had when you were sick, Sean, because you weren't my patient. So I don't know if you had just COVID or COVID and something else. So I don't know what was going on with you at the time. So I can't correlate the data to, to make any sense of it. 
aren't we supposed to get these things anyway? Isn't that part of being human? Don't they say throw your baby in the mud? And by insulating ourselves from them through shots, we're just creating bigger problems? That's kind of the point of the, of the, the when I was saying we did a lot of mass testing. I tell everybody now, if you go in an airplane and you look around you know, at, the, at a full airplane, half of those people have something going on that they're fighting off, a bacteria, a, a virus, probably all of them have something they're fighting off. But, but most of them are never going to get to the point where they exhibit symptoms. So when you mass test like we did, where you just test everybody every day, all day, same population, again, you realize people have something going on all the time and you can find it to your your viewer's question on a PCR test because you don't need a ton of virus uh, or, or a ton of bacteria if you're looking at PCR to to lo- to isolate it. And if I and again uh, to your to your, your caller's uh, question, I can run that same exact sample population the next day and get the same guy. So PCR testing is valid, but you find it in the most minute levels. So yeah, you, you find that everybody has something going on all the time. Um, and if you it, look, people are obese nowadays. They don't work out. You know, health has gone down downhill, especially with COVID. People are going to urgent cares. They're not going to primary care doctors anymore where people have a record of you. Uh, we let our health go during during COVID. We did the opposite of what the government was trying to tell us to, to help, you know, stay home to save lives. We're actually staying home to make ourselves sicker in the long run because nobody cared about their their health to go out and see a doctor. Like you said, people have got things going on all the time, and that's necessary, right, to create a healthy mu- immune system. The pressure on the immune system is what creates a healthy immune system. Well, it's just a fact of you know life. We're humans, and we all you know transmit stuff. We're all interacting every day, and there's stuff out there that most of us are can flake off because we have some immunity to it. And there's stuff that you know if we're a little beat up and I'm traveling a lot, run down, not eating right, tired, not sleeping because I'm get up to do your show really early, Sean, <laughs> and I get sick from something. So do you think vaccines as a whole are over prescribed? The question is 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 kind of skewed, right? Because vaccines aren't all the same. And this is a problem we got into with COVID. If you didn't want to take the COVID shot, people would call you an anti-vaxxer. And that's not, that's not true because you've had vaccines, I'm sure, in your life. And I'm, I've had vaccines and they're all different. But the technology that we used uh, early before this was viral vector. It was attenuated vaccines. Vaccine. It's like comparing apples to oranges. You can't just say the word vaccine and then say you're this way or you think that. So we probably do over vaccinate to a point, but there's certain things out there that have been proven to work. Um, you know, polio. I mean, even though there's the, the SV40, uh, we found the SV40 virus in the polio vaccine and that's caused a lot of cancer. We're actually finding that now uh, from my microbiologist in the COVID vaccines. It's not supposed to be there and they're finding SV40 virus in there. Um, so I, I'm more worried about how they're manufactured and produced. Uh, if you, if you want to look at the, the word vaccine in a, cl- in a clinical sense and, you know, like polio vaccine, if it was clean and it protected you against polio, fine. But if you, it, I, I can't trust a lot of times what these manufacturers are putting in these vaccines because we're finding things that aren't supposed to be there. So this kind of opened up another can of worms. So if you had a newborn baby and they were trying to put you pressure on you to have this plethora of vaccines now they're saying are necessary for these newborns, what would your response be to the to medical professionals? Probably wouldn't do them all at the same time. Um, you know, we, we talk about that now when people want to run out and get the COVID and flu shot at the same time. Why? Why would you? First of all, why would you get a COVID shot? It's stupid. But second of all, these people that are you know, running out to get every shots available to them at the exact same time 
is like a, a ticking time bomb. If you, it, when we started with COVID, Sean, we started seeing shingles come out all of a sudden in young. People. That's what I was about to say. My my father, my parents subscribed to all this. They've they've got all the vaccines, the boosters, and my dad had shingles yeah. after it. We started well because it, it it's a it's a virus and it you know it, it, a stress reaction right so this shot was causing that reaction all of a sudden you're seeing people in their 30s getting shingles and you're like why and it's an abundance and then they're getting herpes and this and that and the other thing you you are doing damage every time you get one of these things by causing that inflammatory reaction so why would you go out and get five shots at the same time when you go back to the baby question they want you to have a plethora of shots all at the same time no the answer is no you know if i if there's things i want for my kid sure but i might space them out a little bit just so that i'm not exposing the baby to things they don't need to be exposed to yeah we had a podcast guest on and i had to remove it from youtube but um she went to get her baby weighed and they asked her did she want the shots and she said i need to go and call my husband when she came back they'd already done the shots and the baby got so ill and started to die and then it became past the parcel because the hospital wanted the parents to take the baby home so the baby died at home so they wouldn't be liable. And the baby was going back and forth, back and forth. Baby died at home and they got indicted for murder. That's incredible. Which they beat. They beat the case, but they were not allowed to have the expert witnesses on vaccinations in the court case. They were, they, they were prohibited from doing that. Yeah. yeah. What, are, what are we doing as a society that we drag people through the mud like that? They've been through enough. And, and we, we because we want to what further a narrative, you know, it's like that cancel culture that's out there. They want to beat you up until you're done, until you're canceled. That seems like the whole of society now, if you don't agree with their narrative. I mean, the data in this stuff speaks for itself. You don't really you don't have to have an IQ of over 100. And by the way, I say that in the book, Sean, you know, that's the problem. If you think about it, the average IQ, at least in America, is 100. So if you think about that, half the population has an IQ of less than 100. And these are the people that are ruling the world. These are the people that are forcing these people to you know, go to court over something. I mean, come on. What, what are we doing? When, when, are, when are the smart people, you know, just because those people who are dumber than us are louder than us doesn't mean they're right. You know, the data speaks for itself. We, we did not need to put that family through that exercise. We didn't need to put the world through the exercise. The amount of people I've seen lose their lives, and I'm not talking about from COVID. I'm talking about from the ramifications of COVID. I, I witnessed more. I would do a nursing home. Uh, we had like seven or eight of them that we did every week. And I, I saw more 90-year-old, 85-year-old birthdays that had to be done from afar where the person was inside the nursing home and the family was, you know, 30 feet away outside the window. Um, for what? You know, for, for something that was totally survivable. I mean, that, and then those people would later pass away in the nursing home, never seen their families. It's just sad what we do at the mercy of stupid people, of stupidity running the world. I'm just looking at your book now. So on Amazon USA, 51 ratings, four point stars. Fauci's fiction, the book on COVID, Dr. Michael Schwartz. 4.7 because there's a fake review up there, somebody who didn't read my book. But thank you uh, to the guy who didn't read my book. People are trolls out there, but it's got all on great a, reviews. On Amazon UK, you're 4.8. Okay. with 41 ratings take it so I, I i urge people to go and check your book out um is there anything else that i've left out or you'd like to say in conclusion michael uh look i appreciate the support it, it is getting a lot of censorship um people are having a, they can find it but uh, every time we do stuff like this it, it gets it gets taken down so i hope the message gets out there read the book it'll make you a lot smarter in totality and 
if you have any questions, concerns, I'm always available to chat. Um, find anywhere books are sold. Thanks so much, Sean. Which socials are you on so they can know to find your socials? Uh, Instagram, I'm uh, mike.schwartz.heroes. Uh, Facebook, um, I know I'm old school, so I'm on Facebook a lot. Uh, <laughs> you can find me out there. Uh, michaeljschwartz.com and fauciesfiction.com. You can always find me. Well, huge thank you for getting up so early. Go back to bed if necessary. And Go cheers. Fascinating. Go to work. Go to Thanks, work. Appreciate it, buddy. Cheers. Bye.